This is the London Live Podcast. Listen live weekdays from 1 to 3 on 980 CFPL. We have opportunities to learn throughout every day, really. Some of the things we pick up, how to cross the street, usually that's an important one. You have to learn that originally and initially, but after a while, you should have that. Learn to drive, learn to save money, hopefully. And there are instances that come by where we should learn, but we probably don't pay close enough attention. A lot of it's about getting through things, especially if it is a crisis situation. And we've had, in the way, a crisis situation which keeps ticking along right now. And yet we can look back to some other things and see a time when we maybe could have learned. And our next guest took a really neat approach to this. Syria Grell joins us right now. Syria is the former executive director of 111, and it is great to have her with us. Siri, thanks so much for being here. No problem. Thanks for having me on. Let's kind of look at, at the angle you chose to come at COVID-19 from. It took us back to a moment that anybody who was, say, over the age of six will probably remember, and that <laughs> is August 14th, 2003, when the lights and the power went out. What was it that brought that to mind for you? I don't know. I think it was the, the, the latest time I could remember where everything just stopped. And and then it was just for a day, right? But I remember I was a journalist at the time, too. I was working for a newspaper, and literally, like, the lights went off at 4 o'clock, and our computers shut down, and everything stopped, and everything stopped in Toronto, where I was. Everything stopped all across the eastern seaboard. And you were you realized how sort of helpless you were, right? Everything had to had to stop. People were evacuated from buildings. Everybody went home. The ATMs weren't working, so you didn't have any money on you. People were walking in the street. But it was also kind of turned into this incredible moment, at least in, in Toronto, because, you know, people sort of were forced outside. There was no TV or air conditioning. People were forced into the parks. People checked on their neighbors. There was a sort of little kind of brief window of, you know, everything stopping and everybody kind of rubbing their eyes and walking out into the world and being like, okay, what, what do we do now? And yet we did it, like you say, as a collective. It wasn't like everybody hunkered down and hid under pillows or put a mattress over their heads and sat in the bathtub. You did go out and, and you did find your neighbors and you did ask things, didn't you? Yeah, and I think that that's, you know, I've been thinking about that a lot because I think, you know, as, as horrible as COVID is and it's had such a tremendous impact on people's lives, on people's livelihoods, We've also seen people really do incredible things, and I think especially in Canada, we've seen the sort of collective willingness to stand up for each other, to do the right thing, to take care of one another, um, to take care of our kids, to take care of our neighbors. And I think I'm just sort of worried that that won't last once all the sort of distractions are back in place. I almost worry that it's going away now. I almost worry that as we watch people say, yeah, I haven't had it, it's been months, that it's it's going away now. Because I was hoping that exactly what you were describing would be things we would realize and then hang on to and carry forward. I was I was so happy to think that that could happen. You put it into words so well. And I think that, I think everybody has that willingness to, and I don't think it's anyone's fault, but I think we have to ask the questions. And I think there also has to be leadership. People have to be saying, okay, what should we do with all this energy and goodwill and willingness that 
you know, there are people who are, who are having a bad way and there are things we can do about it. I think without people asking those questions and telling those stories, it's kind of natural to be like, okay, well, I'll just go about my business and great, I can go, you know, to a patio again and we can all sort of get busy. I think that people have to actually stand up and say, okay, well, what can we do with this energy? What can we do with this time? And, and encourage people to do something more. And I think that what we've seen is there's so much willingness if, if people are asked to do something that they'll do it. People want to do the right thing. People want to, you know, have these moments of greatness, but we have to ask them to. We're talking with Syria Grell, who is the former executive director at 111, and we're talking about something that Syria had written that goes all the way back to August 14th, 2003, when we all went through the blackout, and for about a day and a half, we had these these kind of helping hands reaching out all over the place, and we've been doing that for kind of three months, but I wonder how much longer this continues and whether or not we're starting to already see it end, because, Siri, you talk about kids and, and people getting to spend more time with their kids and families getting back together. Judd Apatow, who is a, a producer and director in Hollywood, mentioned on the weekend that, you know, they've taken this, he and his wife, as kind of a, a gravy time because their kids are 22 and 17 and the last thing they want to do is hang out with their parents, but now you're kind of forced to and, and we get the opportunity to appreciate these things in life. Do you think enough of us are? You know, I, I think people are, and I think it's, you know, the thing we've seen a lot is that it depends what your position is, right? You know, some of us are lucky enough to spend some time with our kids, and some of us aren't, right? We're seeing people who have to keep going to work at the grocery store, who have to keep going to work at, at you know, at different places. Um, I think that even the people who are spending time with their kids are trying to still work as well. And so I think what I'm hoping is that we'll see that the need to kind of, you know, even out some of the, the, you know, systems that allow people to have that time, right? That it's not enough for people who have, you know, cottages and, and work from home jobs to be able to enjoy that time with their kids. We should make it so everybody has those protections that no matter what you do, you should, you know, have enough income and enough security and enough protection to be able to, you know, look after your kids and play with them during the day and make sure that they're all right. And that that shouldn't just be something that, that some of us are allowed to enjoy. Are you surprised that we're looking back at things like the blackout or maybe even SARS, which which maybe you know didn't didn't grab us as much obviously as the pandemic will, but but not saying more. Why didn't we learn these lessons then? Well, I think we're seeing that all over the place, right? We're seeing that with the, sort of the the rise of sort of like you know radicalization and polarization. Why don't we learn that these cycles of sort of hate and distraction and all these things keep coming back to us? You know, we're, we're creatures of habit, and I think it's easy to fall into patterns, right? It's easy to just kind of go about your day and look at your phone all the time. I do that too, right? Um, I, and I think it's only when we're really forced into these moments of reflection that we reflect. And then, you know, as soon as there's a distraction, we're like, oh, we'll go over there. And so I think that I'm hoping that there's enough sort of collective recognition that there was something important about this time. Um, you know, beyond just, you know, protecting each other's, our, our own lives in the short term, that we saw some things here that this sort of silence revealed some things about ourselves that need to be corrected. And, you know, I hope that people hold that in whatever way they can, right? Not everybody can, I'm not saying anyone should lead a rev revolution or, you know, completely change their, their ways of going about business. But I think the main thing is like, can we stop and say, okay, I still care about those things. I still want to make sure people are okay. I still care about the elderly. I still care about, 
you know, migrant workers and, and think about those things when they're presented with opportunities to care about them, when they're presented opportunities to, to vote or get involved in something or donate their time, that they remember that, yeah, I, re- I remember seeing how much those things mattered when, you know, the chips were down. And so they should matter all the time. Siri, it's been great speaking with you. Thank you for writing what you did and thank you for this. Yeah, well, thank you for amplifying it. And I think you talking about it is important, too. And I hope you hold this moment with you for a while as well. Well, I certainly plan to. Keep safe. You too. Bye. That is Syria Grell. And maybe that's that's the kind of thing that we've got to do is as bad as things get, you know, and you'll run into people. I don't know if you have yet, but they may be in a situation where they're looking and saying, I just, I just don't know. And it's gone from the stage of, I don't know if my business is going to survive and the stress and the concern of things like that to I'm just doing what I'm doing. You know, every day comes, I go through every day and then we'll see what happens at the end of that day where that stress that, Oh, oh, what's going to happen a week from now, two weeks from now, three months from now, that's not even a part of the picture anymore. It's just kind of day by day. And okay, well, you know, I'm, I'm still here. And that's kind of what they have to hang on to. And I'm, I'm sure you've run into people who are in that particular situation. It's not easy, but you get to that point where all you can do is kind of shrug. Tomorrow, the 2020 CHL import draft takes place. And there are a lot of things in junior hockey that are still up in the air. The hope is that they can begin to play in the fall. The reality is, I don't know how clearly we can state that just yet. So let's hold to the hope, because we still can. We can still be optimistic and think, okay, they can figure out ways, but we've already heard from the OHL commissioner, David Branch, that they can't play to empty arenas. Can you play to partial crowds? Well, that takes that takes a whole lot of doing, And we're still in a pretty volatile state. We do know that the CHL import draft will take place. We know that the London Knights are going to participate and that they have a selection at number 55. This is a tough thing. This, if, if you've ever been a part of a fantasy draft for anything, if you've ever been a part of even if somebody's handed you an NCAA tournament bracket to fill out, you know that you have a a pretty good sense of what's in front of you. If you're filling out that bracket for the NCAA tournament, you just kind of pick a team out of two teams, and then you pick a team out of two teams until you're finished. Same thing if somebody gives you a, a bracket for the Stanley Cup playoffs. This is a whole lot different because you've got three different leagues drafting, and unless you are selecting first overall, You've got all kinds of players, but they have all of these different options. So you're drafting European players or Russian players, and they have all kinds of options. They have the ability to stay in their home country. They have the ability to go to a different country that's not yours. And what you're trying to do is find somebody who would be willing to come to a brand new country where chances are they do not speak the language, where the culture is completely different, and they come and play hockey for you with the hope of that maybe taking them to the National Hockey League. So it's it's a difficult situation to know who will even be willing to come and play for you, let alone who's going to be available, as the Knights have it, 
at number 55 overall because it isn't just the OHL that is drafting in this. All three major junior leagues draft at the same time. So the Western Hockey League, the Quebec Major Junior Hockey League, and the Ontario Hockey League. Makes for a pretty interesting day. How does a team get ready for something like that? Well, joining us right now is the Associate General Manager of the London Knights, Rob Simpson. Rob, how's your day going? Uh, it's going pretty good. Uh, how are you guys doing today? You know what? Not too bad. Not too bad. I still don't know how you guys get your heads around trying to put a list together for the CHL import draft. This has to be a pretty unique experience. Yeah, it is. It's it's difficult, you know, in the best of years with, you know, this draft and figuring out which players, you know, want to come and play, uh, you know, which players have pro contracts are going to stay overseas so when you add in the fact that the nhl draft isn't going to have occurred already because a lot of times that gives you a big hand just with your connections with your nhl teams and people you know and you know which teams might want to push a player to come over here because they want to develop them close to home it definitely adds a whole new element in this year for us to be able to walk through um, the waters i guess you could say and and try to understand which guys you know have legit interests do you do it simply by just talking to player agents and and things like that, not even just now but throughout the year? Yeah, a lot of it is, you know, you, you talk to the agents of the players, you understand, you know, which players have interest, and then from there, you know, you're talking to the players, uh, you're looking at the situation that they're in. Are they going to play in a junior league over there? Are they playing pro already where they're on a contract and and they're making money? Um, you know, have they showed interest in yet in years past for players that maybe have already went through a draft? So there's a lot of different elements that you have to look at, and a lot of it is talking to the agents, the players, and people that are close or around the teams or those players over over there that you might know and have connections with to to find out as much information as you can, and then try to piece it all together. We are talking with London Knights Associate General Manager Rob Simpson about tomorrow's Canadian Hockey League import draft. The London Knights have Kirill Steklov on their roster, so they'll use one pick tomorrow at pick number 55. Rob, everything's been a little different for everybody, it seems. How different has this year been leading up to this import draft? It's been very different. It's been a very difficult year. I mean, obviously with a lot of you know, uncertainty with, with our season, with hockey in general, you know, not just in Canada, but the U.S. And, and overseas and many of the places that we draft players from. I mean, nobody has a clear understanding of, you know, when the seasons are going to start, what time they're going to start. And, and that adds a different element in as well. Um, I think that, you know, if things clear up and we were able to start ahead of, you know, a bunch of leagues, it might impact our, our league in the draft overall as far as players that get picked tomorrow wanting to come sooner so it's been a very difficult year but you know everybody's kind of dealing with the same issues and the same uh, things they got to get through and and it's going to be interesting to see after the draft tomorrow what happens with player signings and who decides to come right away who's going to wait I think there'll be a lot of uh, a lot of time period where people are going to have to spend recruiting their players and and keeping an eye on when the league's going to start for sure. Has it been just a, a few months filled with Zoom calls and phone calls? Have you ever experienced anything like this before? Well, I've never done this many Zoom calls, that's for sure, before. Like most times you're 
you know, this year there was a, you know, world championship going to be played in Plymouth. So it was going to be a great opportunity at the time to be able to go watch players live and maybe get a chance to speak to their agents and in person and the players. So, you know, you definitely had to change how you went, um, how you approached it this year. And, you know, some for the good, I think in, you know, in the future, we'll probably continue to use Zoom calls and, you know, for players that maybe aren't as easily accessible, but it's, it's definitely been a little bit different. And I'd say me and Mark have probably perfected our, our art of talking to players and promoting the program on, on Zoom calls this year. That's for sure. (laughs) (laughs) Knights Associate General Manager Rob Simpson joining us. Rob, just one final thing. Tomorrow is a day that kind of plays out starting at about 11 o'clock where the North Bay Battalion will announce the first selection in the CHL import draft. And then everybody has their time period after that. What is it like to wait through? Because normally in a draft, you're picking within the first hour usually, but this time around you could be waiting hours what is it like to kind of sit and watch this thing play out yeah it's 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 different i mean obviously the time between picks and it's not just the ontario hockey league it's the chl overall um you know we got some good news that seven i think it's seven teams are going to pass ahead of us because they already have two imports on the roster so i think we'll be we'll be picking a little bit higher seven or eight i think passes off the top of my head so we'll be picking a little bit higher but uh yeah, you never quite know. It, it it seems each year it goes pretty smoothly and pretty quick, but I don't know if that's going to change and we're going to be sitting there waiting for quite a while as people contemplate who they're going to select based on what happens above them. So, you know, a lot of time is just spent talking and going through scenarios and, and who got picked and how that's going to change the landscape of, you know, who might get picked next. And, you know, it's also a tough draft because there's so many, uh, you know, teams that have different information on players and, who's coming and who's not coming. And even when teams pick, sometimes you heard that player isn't coming, but they might just be picking them to, to recruit them. So it's, it's an interesting draft and it does take a while and you, you, you know, have to sit back and kind of wait until your pick comes, which could be a while. Well, good luck getting through it tomorrow and good luck seeing the result that you want to see. And here's hoping we find a way to see some hockey at some time in the near future. Rob, stay safe. Thanks so much for taking some time for us today. Great, no problem, Subsy. Thanks for having me on. That's Rob Simpson, Associate General Manager of the London Knights on tomorrow's CHL Import Draft. Let's take a bit of a COVID break for a second. This will be a story that does have some COVID-19 ties, but it won't be here's what we have to do and here's what we're doing now. This is an interesting one. This one takes us to North America trying to return sports to action at the Major League Baseball level and the NBA level and the National Hockey League level. The NFL and the CFL still have all kinds of uncertainties surrounding them. But we've seen soccer in Europe get back going in so many different cities. And we have seen soccer return in Russia. Now, A lot of it's been good news stuff. The Bundesliga in Germany kind of played its way through its season, and Bayern Munich won the title again, and it just kind of continued on. They didn't have any fans, but things kind of worked out okay, and there weren't too many COVID-19 cases to speak of. 
there is something that we have to pay attention to in Russia in all of this. And it seems to have so many layers that one day I hope it's turned into a movie. And it seems every time we talk with Slava Malamud, we're talking about something that sounds like a movie script, only it's real. The last time we spoke with Slava was when the World Juniors were on. And when the Russian sports network that would normally carry the World Junior game did not because they put it on their big channel in Russia and they put an old game on, one that saw Russia beat Canada in a World Junior final, and you had all kinds of people in Russia believing for a good period of time that Russia had won the World Juniors beating Dale Hunter and Mark Hunter and Team Canada. It hadn't happened, but because of what took place. And a lot of times you see people shrug and say, that's just Russia. Slava, thanks so much for joining us, not to talk hockey this time, but to talk soccer. <laughs> Good afternoon. Yeah, well, it is just Russia. And uh, the story, by the way, is ongoing. It's developing uh, right now. And uh, I think the uh, uh, the biggest thing here is the fact that uh, Russia, in much the same way as the United States, has been very cavalier in its approach to, to COVID-19. And, uh, yeah. I mean, it, it, it all, like, uh, in some places, like in Moscow, very strict measures were taken, right? Uh, and uh, people were under quarantine, they, they couldn't leave the house, or they, if they had, they had to have like, permission. And not, in not a lot of places, it's like, okay, whatever. <laughs> and then a lot of people didn't even abide by whatever rules were put in place. Oh, so I man. guess it was inevitable that some kind of a disaster was right. Okay, well, let's turn to the soccer world for this. We're talking with Slava Malamud, who's Twitter's official Russian sports writer. And whenever Slava starts into a thread about a story, you need to read from start to finish because it will be well worth your time. We have Russian soccer returning to play amidst COVID-19. So how was that going over to begin with? Well, I mean, the whole thing just happened right away. The very first week that they came back, all of a sudden, one of the teams comes out and says, oh, sorry, we can't travel to our game because our entire team is in quarantine. They just, they literally played like two games, and boom, this news drops. And, uh, well, it turns out that uh, one, of their, uh, one of their players was allowed to travel back home for whatever family occasion and came back carrying, uh, carrying the virus and uh, spread around the team. They, had, they wound up with eight people testing positive, including personnel. So they had to quarantine the entire squad, 42 people, players, reserve players, uh, front office staff, uh, coaches, everyone, team doctors, everybody. Uh, <laughs> so they had no nobody left. Yeah, they, yeah, so they in other words, you, you don't even have a doctor to help out a player because the doctor has been quarantined as well. So the entire staff, the entire team, all of the players yep. has has been quarantined. I'm smelling forfeit. That that's an automatic mm -hmm. forfeit, right? Basically, yeah. The, they they asked the other team, they asked the league to postpone the match. And uh, actually, what happened is a couple of days later, another team. Also, uh, uh, also had an outbreak. They they petitioned for a post for postponement, and they were granted the postponement. So it's not like there aren't any places left in the calendar in the, in the schedule where you could stick a game uh, in later on. But the thing is, their opponent 
was against it. And the league took a very laissez-faire approach to it. They said, okay, it's, it's up to the teams. If the teams can agree to it, we'll postpone. If not, sorry. And the other team said, no, we're not postponing. <laughs> so, so FC Rostov, the team that had an outbreak, uh, said, well, we got nothing else to do. I mean, we're just going to send our kids. They sent the uh, academy team, 17-year-olds. Some players were 16 and not yet 17. So basically, 2003 birth year team. Uh, with a couple of older players from the reserve team that were not with the team when, when the outbreak occurred. So the, the oldest guy in the roster was 19, but almost everybody who actually played was 17. And this is playing <laughs> professional soccer. So yeah. wait a minute. When the, it's left up to the teams, the team that is filled with COVID-19 can't dress anybody. Everybody's in quarantine, asks the other team. They say, no, 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 we're not postponing it. The league says, okay, then no postponement. And you guys play, and they call up all of their little junior guys to go and play against mm-hmm. men in a professional soccer match. That's what we have. That's what happened. And uh, to, to compound the problem, those kids... They've been out of practice since since February. They haven't practiced since the since the epidemic broke out. They, they haven't even seen each other until three days before the match. And, you know, they're just going to school. They're school kids, <laughs> going to school via Zoom. So <laughs> uh, they assembled. They flew to that game, and they were thrown into the <laughs> into the water and told uh, told to swim. They actually they scored a goal 52 seconds in. You're kidding! Uh, they were winning. They, they were winning 1-0, and then, then everything broke down. But they, they wound up losing 10-1, though. I mean, their keeper saved a penalty. He had 45 shots on goal and made 35 saves. That turned out to be the all-time Russian Premier League record for saves in one match. Uh, he, he was also uh, named the man of the match, and he also owns now, now owns the record for the most goals allowed. <laughs> the poor kid is just. I mean, if, if you look at the shot map from that uh, from the game, it's just, it's insane. I mean, it was just basically a shooting gallery throughout the whole thing. And to compound that, I mean, the the other team was given a questionable penalty. The other team, uh, uh, the second the go ahead goal they scored was clearly scored with a violation of the rules. One of the adult players basically picked up that seventeen year old kid and threw him into the ball. <laughs> making the ball ricochet into the net and the refs just okay whatever and there's a video of this i mean you posted video of that actually happening which was wild to see let alone the rest of this i mean it's in a way it's comical but in in a way you just think really this is this was allowed and it carried on we're talking with slava malamud right now and slava is twitter's official russian sports writer we're talking about a russian soccer team a player contracted COVID-19. The entire team, including team doctors and personnel, had to be quarantined. The other team that they were playing against wouldn't allow them to forfeit the match, made them play it, so they had to play it with a whole bunch of kids, and they end up scoring the first goal of the match but losing 10-1. Slava, you mentioned this is still continuing on. What part of this could still yeah. be going? Well, I mean, first of all, it, it's a huge embarrassment for the Russian uh, Football Union. That's what they call the, um, the governing body. Uh, they uh, basically went ahead and said, okay, well, whatever we do forthwith, not, this can never uh, happen again. We cannot allow you know, kids to go out there and be pummeled by these uh, <laughs> you know, less than perfect displays of sportsmanship. Uh, and, you know, lo and behold, there are a couple of other teams just came down there. FC Orenburg, another Russian, Russian team, tested positive. They had, uh, I think, six cases in the team. 
And uh, they were made to forfeit the game. They said, no, no, this is it. We're just, you guys are going to quarantine. You stay there. We'll see what happens within a week or two. Maybe you'll be allowed to field replacements. I don't know. But for now, they, they forfeited the game last weekend. And uh, another team, uh, Dynamo Moscow, they had three, two or three cases. And, uh, but they were able to uh, secure a compromise where... Uh, they would allow all the starters who have test tested negative before the match to play, whereas they just the players who tested positive had to sit out. I think that's how they're going to proceed from now on. They're just going to approach on a case-by-case basis. But one of the teams they had, uh, because they were so late in discovering, Orenburg, because they were so late in discovering the players tested negative, positive, they couldn't be sure. I mean, who, even if the player is tested negative, he might still be carrying it or he might still be susceptible to it. So they said, yeah. no, it's just too much risk. And they, they made him forfeit the match and gave him a 3-0 technical loss, as they call it. Uh, but oh, I mean, the wider point here is that the thing is, they, 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 the, the Russians are really not do, doing a very good job uh, treating this the way it should be treated. I mean... You look at you look, you look at England. You look at the the Bundesliga that you've mentioned. Mentioned there's no fans, right? There's no fans mm-hmm. in Serie A. Uh, the fans just went ahead and canceled the rest of the season. The Russians are allowing fans in the stadium, ten percent capacity. They have to be social distancing. But guess what? Nobody is maintaining social distancing. They're just sitting there. They're waving their flags. They're happy. Uh, the fans are there, and uh, this cavalier approach, this very reckless approach to treating this thing, it was inevitable that something like this was going to happen. And you look at how people are treating this in the United States. I frankly shudder to think in Florida. Oh, my gosh. I, I think it's going to be inevitable that the NHL or the NBA, whenever they restart, something like this is definitely going to happen. Yeah, and then you're not competing for who is the best of the best. It's who is the healthiest of the unhealthy, and that's not the way to do this at all. Well, Slava, we really appreciate you outlining this story. Continued success, and keep up the great work in covering and finding (laughs) stories like these, and please stay safe through all of it yourself. Thank you. You too. (laughs) That is Slava Malamud. He is Twitter's official Russian sports reporter, and he does a fantastic job because he unearths stories like that that would make you think, no, that's not the way it happens. Yeah, that's the way it happens. There is no social distancing, even though they're allowing 10%. You've got the governor in Texas still hoping to get fans into seats for baseball. I mean, do these people not read science? You've been listening to the London Live podcast. Catch the show live on weekdays from 1 to 3.